everyone, welcome back to the 21 and Sensory podcast with me, Emily. On today's episode, I have the lovely Ali Mason. Now, you may remember I've had Ali on before. Um, actually, it was episode 23, which was a very long time ago. Um, but if you didn't listen to that episode, here is a quick intro to Ali. So Ali studied for an undergraduate degree in Christian theology and has a master's degree in education research from the University of Oxford. Ali has always been an avid reader and now, as an adult, writes books that neurodivergent kids and teens, like she once was, can see themselves in. Her non-fiction debut, The Autistic Guide to Adventure, is due to be released by Jessica Kingsley Publishers in March 2023. So, Ali, would you like to say hello? <laughs> <laughs> I have just been sat here quietly listening to all these lovely words. <laughs> hello, listeners. It is very nice to be back. Yeah, so you were last on in episode 23 and we're now we're now in the like mid 60s of 21 and Sensory podcast episodes. So how have things been since episode 23? Like how <laughs> how is your life? Give us a give us a um An a bit of background, yeah. Yeah. Um well, things are are very different now from where I thought they would be when we last spoke. Um but then again, things are also very similar. So I guess I'll clarify that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, when we spoke, we were talking about kind of all the, the creative things that I was getting into at the time. And as any fellow creatives out there will know, and I'm sure you are also the same, you start projects and then you get sidetracked and you start new projects and the old ones get left behind Um or you also grow as a as a creator, as an artist, as a writer, um, and you realise that what you were working on at the time uh, is not where your passions now lie. Um, so I think anybody who was with us for episode twenty three uh, will be listening to this episode and thinking, "Gosh, that's not that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> that's not where I thought she was going to be at this point." Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> But um, I I have a new job now. So since we last spoke, I now, as a as a way to pay the bills, I am a talent coordinator, um, which is a very fancy word for a, a recruiter. Um, and I work at an environmental consultancy, so I, helping them find new environmental consultants. Um, and that's been really rewarding because I've really gone into that with um a diversity and inclusion focus that I didn't necessarily have in previous job roles so um it's been really nice to uh introduce colleagues to the um to the whole world of kind of like being neurodivergent and disability and and all kinds of things that they hadn't necessarily encountered before um but outside of that, so when I'm not doing my day job, I am still writing. Um, and as we know, I've I've finished my nonfiction debut, which is coming out next year, which I'm super excited about in March. Um, and I am still writing since finishing that because uh, the creative mind never rests. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. At least like... Because I feel like I've spoken to people who have written a book who are like, I never want to write again. So this is a good thing. <laughs> I definitely had that moment. Don't get me wrong. Okay, I understand. <laughs> and so how how did this book come about? Like, it'd be really interesting to talk about the kind of, like, the process behind kind of, I don't know, like pitching a book or being approached to make a book. Like, how how did it work for you? 
Yeah, so I originally pitched a book that wasn't this book to the publishers that I now work with. Um, and they very <laughs> kindly turned me down and said, no, we're not interested in working with you on this one. Um, and so that was a bit of a confidence hit, but also made me really think about why I wanted to write a nonfiction book and what I wanted to um, provide readers with let's say within that book so then I sent a new proposal in and um, so this was a direct approach from me to the publishers mm-hmm. um, and said what about this one would you like it if I wrote this one and thankfully um, they did like the second one and so uh, that is a lesson if I ever heard one in perseverance uh, and not giving up at the first hurdle um, and also um, a lesson in not uh, pinning your worth, your worth on external validation, mm-hmm. um, because I think it would have been very easy after my first proposal was rejected to think, well, I've not got it in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't be a writer. They're, they're not interested in my work. And thankfully, it wasn't the case. It was just that particular um, idea that wasn't necessarily perhaps it just wasn't commercial enough. Um, mm-hmm. I will never know. Um but yeah, so I approached the publishers, um, working with uh, Jessica Kingsley, who work with quite a few authors in our kind of neurodivergent social media space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, uh, as you mentioned in the introduction, the Autistic Guide to Adventure. Um, and the reason really why I wanted to write this book and the reason why I proposed this book was because it's something I wish I'd had when I was a child. Um, and it's been really, really lovely since uh, the book has been kind of formally announced and we can start promoting it that quite a few people have commented on various social media posts and said, oh, I wish I'd had this when I was a child. And I was Aww. like, that's exactly what I'm going for. <laughs> that's nice. That's really lovely. <laughs> exactly. So that that was really, really, really lovely. Um, but it is... Um, basically a long process to write a book and I think a lot of readers don't necessarily and and, you know before I wrote a book I didn't necessarily understand Mm -hmm. um, the amount of behind the scenes work that goes into it but for context I proposed this book to Jessica Kingsley um, not last Christmas but the Christmas before Um, (laughs) and exactly and so then there is the um the process of them reviewing the proposal, deciding they want to take it on board. That took about five months um, until I got the go ahead and we sorted all the contracts out, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is the process of writing the book. Um, and that took me over a year. So I didn't finish writing the book until July of this year. Okay. Um, and then now between july and march we have the process of of creating the book of physically getting a book ready to be in people's hands in bookstores um so it is it's a hell of a lot of work and i think as i said i for one definitely didn't appreciate that before i got in behind the scenes Mm -hmm. and how did you were you working full-time like as you were writing it like how did you juggle just life in general with writing a book (laughs) with limited success (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was so I was working full time um, whilst writing the book I 
um, started my new role um, as a talent coordinator in January of this year. So I was in my previous job for a bit and then I was I've been in this job uh, whilst finishing it up. And it was just weekends and evenings was was spent writing. Um, and I think that's the point where a lot of authors can say, oh, I never want to write another book again when you're kind of juggling it like that. Yeah. Um, because something that you love quickly becomes something that you um, don't want to do because... <laughs> um it's it is a very very draining process um and it is very very difficult to force yourself to sit down and write if you're not feeling like writing but when you have a deadline like this you've not really got much of an option so that was a bit of a journey to go on Mm -hmm. and I feel like you see like online a lot authors being like oh I went away to write a book kind of thing and they write kind of on their own in a nice like I don't know coastal area or something in a nice like little cabin and as much as that looks great and would probably be a great way of writing a book it's not really that feasible for you know people writing their first book (laughs) exactly and it's really interesting that you bring that up because that was something that I that I felt I had to do in order to be a proper author and this is gonna okay feels very (laughs) silly to say it out loud now but at the time it really meant quite a lot to me so last year um I took some annual leave from work and I booked a little cabin in the countryside Ah. and I went off to a little cabin for a week um and wrote um just spent all day writing and then a bit of a wander around the countryside to get some fresh air and a break Mm -hmm. um and I tell you what Emily I actually left early I actually left a day early and came home because I was like I'm not enjoying this um and I think it was just the isolation like I do don't get me wrong I love my own space I love having time on my own I'm incredibly introverted as most of us autistics tend to be um but after a week of being locked up on my own with a book that I was starting (laughs) to get a little bit frustrated (laughs) with um I think I just snapped and I was like I'm just gonna go home I want to see my boyfriend I want to see my dog Mm-hmm. um little things like I want somebody to make me a hot drink whilst I sit on the sofa under a blanket yeah. um so yeah I think it's really really easy to fall into those kind of expectations of what being a real author looks like yeah that's um, so interesting that you tried it I did <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you missed your like creature comfort kind of things and absolutely it, yeah I get that, that. sense of being looked after I guess I think it it very much goes underappreciated but it, it's one of the things that I mention in the acknowledgements of my book I think Chris my partner is the first person I say thank you to because without him this book would never have happened mm-hmm. um, because he, he basically just took over looking after everything during those evenings and weekends when I was writing you know he cared for the dog he looked after the house he looked after me mm-hmm. um and so another thing when you're holding the book in your hands is to be aware that it's it's not a one person job mm-hmm. um there are a lot of people and even people that you wouldn't necessarily expect who are responsible for that book becoming an actual thing mm-hmm. And that that's the thing as well, like people just don't realise how much of a 
shared effort it is like obviously <laughs> you're the named author etc you wrote the book but there's so many other people like you know supporting you and yes. holding things up for you at the same time kind of thing so it's nice that you know you can you can get that out in the acknowledgements and be like thank you so much to all these people <laughs> <laughs> definitely it would have it wouldn't have felt right not to to include all of those people in there because it is such a um a communal effort and and you're absolutely right that you know you have that one name on the front of the book although we have um <clears throat> ella my illustrator's name on the front as well which i'm really happy about because sometimes um in the publishing industry the illustrator can get looked over mm-hmm. um which I never wanted to be the case for us um so it's really nice to have that space to be able to celebrate the other people beyond just the author me yeah. um who who got this book to to where it is mm-hmm. and let's let's chat about Ella so Ella has actually been on um my podcast before Ella Willis um <laughs> but um could you kind of explain how Ella brought your ideas to life and how they worked with you, etc.? Absolutely. Um, so it was really interesting, actually, because I found Ella on Instagram. I was just browsing the hashtag autistic artist. I'm pretty sure that's where it all started. Um, and I was looking for somebody whose style really matched the vision that I had for the book because I was hoping for a very I don't know if you did you ever read Jacqueline Wilson when you were younger Emily? yes I yes. know the style you mean is it I think exactly. it's Nick Sharrett isn't it exactly yeah. Nick Sharrett was just the vision that I had for this book mm-hmm. um, but I also really wanted it to be an autistic illustrator um, and when I came across Ella's work um the way that their style is 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 very Nick Sharrett to me personally that's how I saw it um Mm -hmm. and so I just I just sent them a message on Instagram and I was like hello um (laughs) would you consider illustrating a book (laughs) big question (laughs) big question for your opening gambit but um, I don't do small talk so that's what we led with Mm um and Ella was very, very keen to get involved. We had a call. We talked about um, what the book was going to contain, what it was all about, what the expectations were going to be of the illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they were just on board straight away, which was fantastic. Um, and I feel that the book now would just not be complete without those illustrations. Do you know what I mean? Like when you mm-hmm. see finished product because we've had the um the final proofs through where the pages are all mocked up the way that they will be printed with the illustrations on them okay um and it just it it does just bring the book to life um Mm -hmm. and especially what I love is that I I was quite hands-off with the whole process um I gave Ella some direction but I essentially left them to kind of let their imagination run wild Mm. Um, and what we've ended up with is a very very diverse set of illustrations so we've got wheelchair users we've got amputees we've got different races different genders Mm. I mean even as simple as some people are wearing glasses how often do you see (laughs) that's a really good point bother to illustrate kids with glasses and as one of those kids myself I appreciate that Mm -hmm. um so 
I was just I was just so pleased with how everything turned out and I'm really really grateful that that Ella was open to that very bold first message (laughs) (laughs) and I guess also like you saying it brings like the book to life like do you want to kind of explain the kind of different activities because obviously it's a lot of like I think is, is it all outdoor activities am I right Yes. So so the idea is that all of the activities can be done outdoors. Some of them Mm -hmm. can be done indoors as well. But my vision for the book was to help autistic kids and teenagers spend more time outdoors, because I think that can be a really inaccessible environment for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that for me growing up, it was a very inaccessible environment for me and I didn't want it to be. Um, So the kind of activities that we've got in there we've got some very kind of like sport-based activities we've got things like archery and swimming um and we've even got triathlon in there for the really ambitious people so we've got a good mix of kind of what you'd consider traditional sporting activities mm-hmm. um and then we've also got some more uh, creative activities. So we've got drawing and we've got uh, nature writing uh, in there as well. Um, And then we've got some more, what I would consider kind of like relaxed um, outdoor activities. So things like stargazing or fossil hunting or beach combing. Because I just felt like I really wanted there to be something for everybody I didn't want somebody to open the book and think oh well I'm not really sporty so yeah like for me you don't want like loads of high intensity exactly (laughs) Exactly. yeah and also for people to have that opportunity to choose what feels right for them on the Mm -hmm. day um you know it might be the case that they're not feeling high intensity and they just want something a bit more chill or it might be that they've got loads of energy and they need to get it out and yeah they can do that Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. And I was having um, a look at the Jessica Kingsley um, website and I saw like kind of in the summary of the book that you've kind of, you also mentioned like a summary of like the sensory experiences involved, um, yes. which I thought was quite interesting. Can you explain that a little bit more? Definitely. So each of the, there's 35 activities in total and each of the activities follows the same kind of um, I think Jessica Kingsley have described it as a fact sheet kind of format. Okay. Um, but uh, each activity starts with a brief introduction, which usually talks a little bit about the history of it, where it first came from. Okay. Um, and then there is a section on um, the sensory expectations, as you've noted. So things like um, not just the obvious senses of sounds and smell and 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 all the rest of that kind of stuff but also um the kind of body awareness um Mm -hmm. and the kind of inner I know it's called vestibular but I can't remember how to describe it in non-scientific terms but kind of like the inner sensation of doing something basically Um, and so it was really important to me because that's one of the things that I've personally struggled with is if you don't know what something's going to feel like Mm -hmm. then you're a little bit wary of doing it. Um, so it's really good knowing what to expect and also being able to say, well, I know that, for example, 
uh, if something's going to be really loud, it's not going to be for me. And so I'm going to pick a different activity that doesn't have those kinds of of sensory expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that section in there as well. Um, Then we also have a section on getting started. So that's basically the taking it really back to square one how do I get involved with this activity because the other thing is um, and I've explained this to to neurotypical and and non-autistic people um, is that saying oh I want to start archery is all well and good but if you if you don't know how how to get from your front door to holding a bow and arrow in your hands yeah (laughs) um, then that is a barrier to to accessing that sport so spelling it out really simply was also a really important thing for us to include within the book um there's also a a little section called why try it which is basically just trying to sell each activity so thinking of reasons why it's a a positive thing to include in your lifestyle Mm -hmm. um and then what are we on now so that's four sections and then the fifth section uh, is support recommendations and this one is a really really uh, it's really close to my heart in the sense that I think it is so important for young people to be able to advocate for themselves um, and I definitely feel like my ability to access these kinds of activities and the outdoors and sports and what have you has improved significantly from me being able to explain what I struggle with and Mm -hmm. also to ask for specific things that will help me overcome those struggles um and you can't know what to ask for if you don't know what to ask for yeah exactly that (laughs) exactly it sounds so obvious but people don't necessarily consider it that if you've never if you don't have a lot of uh, autistic or neurodivergent people in your social circles or you don't know many of them at school or you know if you're kind of isolated mm-hmm. um you don't have that learning of well this worked for them so maybe it would work for me um so i really wanted to provide that kind of collection of suggestions and recommendations of things that you can ask a coach for or ask a teacher for that are going to make it so much easier for you to get involved in that activity Mm. wow it sounds really like thorough as well which I think is exactly what autistic people want precisely (laughs) the ins and outs and I think um also it like mentions kind of like like budgeting as well and that's really good because I think also like I don't know I don't know about you but like knowing when to like start something is one thing but also like knowing when to like invest in like equipment for yourself rather than like using it at a club or something like yes that like not knowing when to do that sort of thing and just the kind of more like social aspects as well is kind of terrifying so it's good that you've kind of covered that as well yeah so we have um at the top of every activity uh ella has illustrated some little coins and we've basically done it so that one coin means that it is either free or low cost to get involved Mm -hmm. so that might be something like drawing you know once you've got your piece of paper and your pencil you're good to go Mm -hmm. um then two coins means that there's a little bit of upfront investment or 
you know, actually, my example is going to be cycling. So that is quite a significant upfront investment. Um, But once you have that piece of kit, um, you don't necessarily have to keep paying out regularly. Whereas something like sailing, which is also in the book, um, that is going to be a three coin activity because you are always going to be um, spending money on on the lessons and the yeah. as you said the gear and the kit and things like that you know very few people are going to be able to afford to buy their own sailing boat so it's something yeah. that you do have to prepare to invest in over a long period of time mm-hmm. that's good that you've kind of like covered that as well because you know you can it's almost like these sorts of activities can become like a special interest and people can like massively research into them that you don't always realize the cost like associated with it so it's kind of good that you and Ella kind of start the page with that (laughs) like just so you know it this you know could be absolutely absolutely costly (laughs) exactly and that is so relevant as well to kind of my own experience because one of the things that I mention in the book is that when I was younger one of my special interests was horses and horse riding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I come from a low income background, so my parents could never afford to send me to horse riding lessons. I did fortunately have um, a few opportunities over the course of my childhood where I did manage to get on a horse and to mm-hmm. experience some riding or spend time with horses uh, in the stables and whatnot. Um, but having regular horse riding lessons was never an option for me because it was just too far out of our financial capabilities so you do then find different ways to explore those special interests that aren't necessarily the most obvious ones uh, when you find yourselves in those kind of limiting situations Mm -hmm. and that's kind of interesting in itself in that you know you can you can be interested in something and not have access kind of to it sort of thing like definitely you can kind of I don't know really immerse yourself in you know I feel like the likes of YouTube and stuff like that are so great (laughs) for like I don't know people who do just like pony trekking videos where you can like kind of feel like you're riding with them and stuff like there's ways to like indulge in it even if you can't kind of um like afford it absolutely and I would really encourage that you know as long as as long as you're not kind of getting yourself into that downward spiral of, oh, yeah. I feel so upset that I that I can't do what everyone else is doing. If you can find ways to uh, explore that, you know, I always used to, I was a, a big reader as a child, as, as we know from episode 23. <laughs> and um, I loved any kind of pony club based uh, books because mm-hmm. it is, as you say, like being there with them and doing the activity and also you kind of read about the more realistic side of it you know how dirty and smelly and And like the mucking out that is constant (laughs) yes every single day cleaning poop duty sometimes you can enjoy it from a distance indeed (laughs) and um I was going to ask you as well that you've interviewed some um like autistic athletes as well for the book can you explain that? I feel like we might have had a chat about it before, maybe just me and you, about yes, like the different um, like athletes you were talking to. But um, yeah, it'd be great to share that because I think it's really, really interesting that you've spoken to, you know, um, people who are doing this more professionally. 
Yeah, definitely. So I knew from the start that I couldn't just have me waffling on in this book because (laughs) whilst getting outdoors and being adventurous and and doing that kind of stuff is very much uh, a special interest for me and something that I love learning more about and sharing with other people. I am just coming from my own perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to share other perspectives of people who have different relationships with these different uh, activities that we include in the book. Um, and so we've got a variety of people from professional athletes to hobbyists who mm-hmm. are doing the different activities and who share their perspectives on how they first got started, how they feel being autistic has affected their experience, um, what they would recommend for anybody who's autistic and looking to start that activity. Um, What's really nice as well is that we've been able to um, gather people from, from all over the world. And I was quite limited by who I could contact and find online and I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that I would have loved for the book to have but it doesn't is a bit more geographical diversity um in terms of the different um people that we were able to profile Mm -hmm. um but we've got we've got people from the UK we've got people from the US from New Zealand um so that was really exciting to be able to bring in those different perspectives and a range of ages as well you know I think that um Mimi who is a horse rider from New Zealand um she's in her I want to say early teens herself so she's kind of like the um the key readership for the book but she Mm -hmm. is also one of the athletes that we've profiled so that's really exciting I think I am going to find out that she's significantly younger than that but that's just off the top (laughs) of my head that's nice though that like people will be able to read it and kind of see their own kind of age group or like you said like a bit older so for example I don't know if parents are reading it to their kids kind of thing like they might be able to see themselves reflected in it a bit as well which is quite nice Definitely. And also to see where the involvement in that activity can take you, because if Mm -hmm. you're looking at somebody who's kind of in their late teens, early 20s, which I think is probably the majority of the people that I've profiled, Mm -hmm. um, it just goes to show show that autistic adults exist. And I laugh because (laughs) that is such an ongoing conversation within our community, isn't it, about making Mm -hmm. sure that autistic adults are visible so that autistic kids can see them and know that their lives don't stop at 18. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really important. And that also, you know, that you have like this like support right up until you're 18 and then that kind of, you know, stops. And or like you kind of have to like change services to like adult services. And a lot of that doesn't really exist for autistic people. A lot of stuff does kind of stop at 18, but it doesn't mean that you're um experiences or you know education should stop at 18 exactly and I think that's why it's really important to show kids from the outset that there are these communities of autistic adults who all speak with one another and share their stories and support one another because if we can't get that support from formal avenues let's say then the the I would say the next best 
best place, but arguably probably the best place full stop is to get it from other people who are experiencing mm-hmm. similar things to you. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And coming back to like all the different activities that you have in your book, this is a big question, but do you have a favourite one? <laughs> oh my goodness, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big question, I know, and it may change daily, I appreciate that, but <laughs> yes, yes. do you, is there one that you love to do maybe, or there's one that has like a really nice illustration with it, or you oh, know, know, that sort of thing? I know, okay. Um, I think that people are going to expect me to say roller skating, Mm-hmm. That was in my mind. Go yes, <laughs> <laughs> because um, as listeners may or may not know, uh, I am a keen roller skater myself and I am actually the quote unquote athlete profiled for that section. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it made me feel quite good about myself. I'm, like, I'm in very good company here. Mm-hmm. Um but um, I think that would be a cop out answer. So we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> take that out of the running, so that we can have a more interesting answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the activities that I really love to do um, that we've included in the book is stargazing, mm-hmm. um, and stargazing you can do in a number of different ways. And some people really like to take it the more kind of I don't know whether to describe it as the academic route or the scientific route, but in terms of like identifying the different stars and the constellations and things like that, mm-hmm. um, which I have absolutely no problem with. If that's what you love doing, I've included a bit of how to do that in the book. Um, but for me, when it when it's pitch black outside and all you can see is the stars in the sky, I love to just look up and watch them and I've written this in the book and I think it's one of my favourite paragraphs to be perfectly honest but I love to think about how small I am in comparison to the rest of the universe and Mm -hmm. that sounds like it's going to be a very negative thing but actually it just reminds you what's important Mm -hmm. Um, and things like what other people think about you or the fact that you tripped over earlier and somebody saw you almost fall flat on your face when there was nothing there to trip over um (laughs) they pale into insignificance when you are looking at the stars in the sky and so Mm -hmm. I find it a very grounding activity and it has a very special place in my heart because I know that if I am ever feeling overwhelmed or frustrated or um self-conscious or anything like that on a dark night I can just go and look at the stars and think right get it Mm -hmm. together (laughs) (laughs) and that's that's the thing like it gives you that perspective I think like yes you just realize how much else is going on out there and like you said like really in the grand scheme of things as humans we're we're pretty insignificant compared to you know what's going on out there in space (laughs) so I think that kind of like you said like it's quite a grounding exercise which I think is you know a lot of people are looking for that kind of yes. like nowadays like just stuff to kind of you know ground you and just kind of help you reset and I think stargazing is is a really nice activity for that 100% I think it's really important as well because for us for those of us who are autistic or neurodivergent or different from the norm in any perceivable way we can mm-hmm. often feel 
like outcasts, we can feel isolated, we can have experiences with wider society where we haven't fitted in, we haven't felt like we've fitted in, and that's had a negative impact on on us, our well-being, our perception of ourselves. But the stars don't care. Do you know what I mean? Like you go outside and you look at the stars and everybody looks at the same stars and the stars aren't judging you. Um, And it sounds a little bit wishy-washy up in the air and woo-woo, but when you really think about it, they've been there longer than us and they will be there longer than us. Mm -hmm. So surely if they had an opinion, that would be the one that mattered. Yeah. And I remember this is like a really random, but I remember in lockdown, like saying to someone like, like, are you looking at the moon at the moment? Because it looks like amazing. And realizing that like, you can both be looking at the same moon and you can kind of share that. It doesn't matter where you are, like, as long as you're in the same time zone, obviously. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like you're, you're looking at the same, the same thing in the sky. And that's, that's pretty amazing. And that's like a nice experience to share. Like obviously in lockdown when you couldn't be together, that actually something could bring you together in the sky. Like that's pretty amazing. And like you're saying about the stars as well, like we share them. Yep, they are there for everybody. Mm, I just think that's quite, I don't know, something quite nice about that. <laughs> it is very, it's very magical, but it's very mm. magical in a very special way. Mm-hmm, exactly. And coming, just wanted to mention the rollerblading again. I know that that's kind of <laughs> one of your, one of your like, you know, favourite activities. Did I see somewhere that you were training for a marathon on rollerblades? Oh, or yeah. Have I made that up? Um, it would be amazing if you had made that up, quite the imagination. Um, but it was true. I did. So it's a a very interesting journey that I went on for this marathon. So it was during lockdown when I picked up roller skating again, because I was like, this is something that I loved as a child. Why have I not done it since? And you Mm -hmm. suddenly have all this opportunity for reflection. Um, and you realize that there's nothing stopping you because you're an adult now and you earn your own money and you can spend that money on roller skates. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) So I I bought myself my first pair of of adult, of grown-up roller skates during lockdown. Um, Mm -hmm. I went for those really um, fancy ones, you know, the ones that you see on Instagram feeds and stuff where they're pretty colours and they've got little block heels and it's all very uh 80s disco kind of like pastel sort of colors yeah they were they were beautiful i still have them they're in the garage now they're beautiful kind of turquoise and pink pastel Mm -hmm. away um not very practical however for but (laughs) do you know what i mean they're more of like performance roller skates than than any kind of long distance skating um and on a whim i did sign up to roller skate the berlin marathon (laughs) Oh my word. <laughs> I know. What a whim. I will not be doing that again. If I do it again, I shall be doing it with uh, serious thought and consideration. I see. Um, but yeah, so I signed up for this marathon and then I was like, gosh, well, I'm going to have to train for it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized very quickly that these fancy 80s disco roller skates were not going to be uh, particularly supportive over gosh how many miles is it 26 miles I was gonna ask I was like how long is a marathon again wow it's very long it is very long 
Um, and so I got myself uh, another pair of roller skates. These were more kind of sporty, designed for these long distances, um, mm-hmm. and started training on those. But in the UK, roller skating is not um, particularly popular. There's not a lot of places that you can roller skate or kind of training uh, areas for you to roller skate. So I was literally training in the local industrial estate car park. Amazing. Um, <laughs> yes, I was there at the, like, I would love to say the crack of dawn because that makes me sound really dedicated. But <laughs> I, I was there by 6am, so I would consider that pretty oh, yeah, that's pretty early. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes a while to roller skate that kind of distance. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be by the kind of in the lead up to the marathon. So the marathon was in September. I was um, training uh, every week, sometimes twice a week um, and getting up early enough to avoid all the cars within the industrial estate car park. Mm-hmm. And my favorite thing was that the Greg's there opened at half past six. So I would have all of these like burly van drivers rocking up and seeing <laughs> me just racing around this car park and being like, she's a loony. She's crazy. Um, Amazing. But every single week I'd be there to to welcome them on their Friday morning for their capacity. <laughs> um, but I, I did, Emily, I have to be honest, I did kind of sabotage myself unintentionally. Oh no. I know. It's it's a very sad story, but I because I didn't really have a coach, so there was a roller skating team in Birmingham that I got in touch with and that I trained with occasionally, but I didn't see them regularly. Um mm-hmm. so I was kind of just organizing my own training and and building up distance based on what I thought I should be doing rather mm-hmm. than professional input or anything like that. Um and I was every single week going the same direction around this car park for these incredibly long distances. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I gave myself an, a sports injury. So I gave myself an ankle and a knee injury because I was no. turning on the same leg every single time. Oh. Um, so I got to marathon day. I got to the starting line. And I got five kilometers in and then I had to stop because I was in so much pain. Oh, Oh, it's not worth making it worse, is it? Like, I think I think it's frustrating because it's something that I could have corrected if I'd known during my training what I was doing. Yeah, but you didn't. Yeah. But I didn't. So unfortunately, um, that didn't work out. I have not roller skated a marathon, but I'm not ruling out trying again now that Mm -hmm. I've learnt. but uh, I've had to leave the skates for the last couple of months because the marathon was in September mm-hmm. um, and I haven't picked up my skates since because I've just been trying to heal, <laughs> heal yeah. the self-inflicted injury. Is that going to be a bit more of a like New Year's thing, do you think? You might try and get I hope so, back into yeah. it. <laughs> um, I think it is going to be a case of just making sure that I balance my turns now. So make sure that mm-hmm. sometimes I go clockwise, sometimes I go anti-clockwise. Um, also making sure that I have the right supports um, mm-hmm. because you can get like as much as you probably often see runners on the streets, they'll have like supports on their knees or they'll have their ankles yeah. strapped up. Um, you can get those for roller skating too so okay. hopefully when I get back to it I'll be a little bit more prepared yeah. um, and 
if I'm not too busy, which is very unlikely, then I might try and train again. But I think this is the other issue is that I was training for this marathon whilst I had a full time job, whilst yeah. I was writing my book. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, a lot. Yeah, that, that was a, a classic perfectionist overachiever. <laughs> I see that now yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah at the time I was just like of course I've got enough time to do all yeah. of this and then with reflection you think what were you thinking mm -hmm. and you know even just you saying like I I'd have no idea that you you know you have to balance the way that you're going and what you're turning on like it makes sense but you don't realize it until it's you until know it like you said a thing yes. yeah yeah a hundred percent it is oh. very much a and I think this like really nicely circles back to the point of having the book because you can't know something that no. nobody's ever told you <laughs> no exactly that's exactly it and hopefully this will like provide some guidance like as you're starting out and yes. that hopefully you know you can prevent injuries early on exactly so if anybody's listening who would like to take up roller skating do not go around the corners the same way every single time. It's very painful. <laughs> I wouldn't oh. advise it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, one last thing I was going to ask you before we need to promote the hell out of where to buy your book and where to find you online is how is your dog? How is, yes. um, how is Lena? She is really well, thank you. It was actually her second birthday on Wednesday. Oh, I remember when you mad. got her and exactly. she was so small. <laughs> I feel like when we first started talking in the last episode, I'd probably only just got her maybe. Yeah, I think so. So you can tell, dear listeners, how long ago that was. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's doing really well um, and she's actually a very keen runner. Um, oh. So she, for those who don't know, Lena is a Labrador um, but she's also a working Labrador. So her parents were um, from a working lineage as opposed to domestic Labradors, which are the more kind of chunky, wide set ones. She runs like a whippet. She is so fast. Oh. Um, so I think my next kind of active uh, pursuit or hobby that I'm going to, to go after is to learn how to run so that I can go running with her because she loves it so much and it brings her so much joy Aww. and I'd like to to provide that for her so the roller skating might have to wait whilst I figure out how to run a 5k <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I was to try and do that with my dog like my dog's a beagle and he just <laughs> stops constantly to smell like it sounds like yeah. you have the right breed who is keen to run and just wouldn't stop every 20 seconds like oh I know I know you have to have the right dog for running with you the really dog you really do you really do and beagles they're just made for other things <laughs> oh they're just sniffer dogs and just so food orientated like it'd be a nightmare but I see like I see people going running with like straps around their middle with their dogs on them so they don't have to hold the lead and yes. stuff. And I think that's clever as long as you don't have a dog that will like pull you over <laughs> exactly so we've actually hilariously last Christmas because my boyfriend he is a runner already he likes to run okay. um he sometimes takes the dog with him too but he prefers to run without her which is why I'm trying to learn with her so that I don't know any difference so that I can't decide that I prefer running without her anyway okay. um, <laughs> but last Christmas he 
asked three separate people for one of those around the waist leads. Oh, really? And didn't think about the fact that what he would do if they all bought him one, and they did. (laughs) We have three of those in the house, and we can choose based on colour and design how we're feeling that day and which one we're going to put on. (laughs) Amazing. You have a selection. Exactly, exactly. So uh, it's becoming as much a uh, a fashion show as it is yeah. uh, exercise over here. Mm-hmm. And are you someone who has lots of like collars for her as well? Are you someone that? Oh, so we we would be, um, but we're trying to rein it in. So yeah. We do have um, a, a lovely selection of collars. And recently we went on holiday and it was the first time we went on holiday without Lena. Um, and we brought her a new collar back as a way Aww. of saying sorry for leaving <laughs> you behind. <laughs> so she has a lovely new collar, which we gave to her for her birthday this week, which has um, pine trees and bears and kind of like Aww. very outdoorsy, mountainous kind of vibe to it. So She's on brand. <laughs> this is exactly what I was thinking, Emily. I was like, I didn't do this on purpose, but she is now like perfect and ready for her photo shoot with the book because oh, what better please. way to promote the book than to have a cute dog in the background? Yeah, I think encourage other people to get that going as well. Like, <gasps> I would like to see a hashtag with your yeah. book. <laughs> Yeah, Pets with my book. Okay, <laughs> well, Emily's going to start it, you guys. <laughs> I will words. get my beagle involved, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't believe, I always do this, I can't believe we've been talking for almost an hour. It's I know. so quickly. Um, <laughs> we have to say, where where are you online? Where can people pre-order your book? Because obviously it's out next March, so it's on pre-order right now, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, so I actually now have my own website, which is very exciting. Um, so you can go to www.allyrote.com. Uh, I'll spell that out. That's A-L-L-I-E-W-R-O-T-E. Um, and that's where I kind of host all the information about the various things that I've done online and you can access them Mm -hmm. all there. Um, and then I'm under the same name on Instagram. So that's Ali wrote on Instagram. Um, and in terms of pre-ordering the book, which is a very, very helpful thing to do because it tells uh, the distributors, the bookstores, the publishers um, that this is a conversation worth having accessibility in the outdoors. And that's what we want to encourage. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pre-order it from all good bookstores in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. so waterstones wh smith um you can even get it from amazon so they're all great places and if you're not in the uk you can order that from a book depository and they deliver um worldwide amazing i will pop all those links um in the show notes in case anyone wants to just like click on them more easily than <laughs> having to type them out um thank you so much for coming on my podcast it was um lovely to like check back in with you again and um yeah please go pre-order um Ali's book which is the autistic guide to adventure so yeah thank you for having me it has been lovely and I'm sure when we get to about episode 100 you'll find me here again listen <laughs> and we'll have another check-in and be like how's your life now <laughs> exactly what have you not done and what have you stuck with <laughs> no 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 no. look you've got a book this is this is big <laughs> this is, it's, it's good it's good yeah. stuff 
need to be proud <laughs> of myself. Exactly. Well, thank you again. <laughs> no worries. Have a good day. <laughs>